0: Welcome to craft of code, a podcast brought to you by Linode that explores the stories of developers, entrepreneurs, and enterprises of all sizes from all over the world who share our mission to make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. Since his early days as a hobbyist programmer, Rock Devod asked himself the same question, how can I communicate with a computer using human language? Along with his friend and business partner, Sean Wilson, Rock set out to create a search engine powered by meaning and natural language. This effort eventually developed into a powerful language understanding system and the formation of the company Rock and Sean call SimSage. Thanks for joining us on the Craft of Code podcast, Rock.
1: Thank you, Mike. Nice to be here.
0: If you wouldn't mind, please tell our listeners a little bit about what SimSage does.
1: At the highest level, SimSage connects people with information in the workplace.
0: And how do you do that?
1: Yeah. So um, it's all about, first of all, getting the information. So um, there's all these silos. You know, there's all these systems that have been um, isolated on their own for a long time. and, And nobody's really thought about integrating. Well, there are a few out there. So that's the first thing we do, right? So we talk to, say, file shares, we talk to SharePoint, all those kinds of systems, and we ingest what I call ingest the information, and then we process it.
0: So you were born and raised in the Netherlands. I know you spent time in, some time in France, and then you moved to New Zealand as a teenager. And that's where you sort of ultimately landed at the University of Auckland. And if I'm correct, you earned a master's degree in computational linguistics. How did that exposure to language and computers impact what you and Sean set out to build?
1: Yeah, good, good question. So um, I was exposed to quite a few languages growing up in the Netherlands. You know, it's one of those tiny little nations where their own language, you know, is only spoken by like 16 million people. Yeah, and the world is much, much bigger than that. So we naturally learned languages. So when I got to study at the University uh, Computer Science, um I naturally gravitated towards trying to understand all those different languages with all my knowledge. And so that's where SimSage was
0: sort of born from. Just for our listeners, what languages do you speak? Because I would imagine it is a multitude of languages.
1: Oh, yeah. but uh, Okay. <laughs> so uh, I grew up with Dutch and um, Germanists. Dutch is sort of a dialect of um, German, but uh, <clears throat> a lot of Dutch people disagree with me. <laughs> then, um, having lived in France, I learned French, uh, you know, deep immersion. That, that. And then we moved to New Zealand, so English sort of came uh, last. Uh, but yeah, uh, he, and um, as a hobby, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a little bit of Italian and Russian at the moment.
0: My daughter is a um, is a vocal performance major in college, and she has to take four. I think it's four languages uh, to be able to understand them for opera. So this is this is actually really interesting to me uh, with with language. You know, so you're, you're so you're attacking the challenge of language in search, um, in finding information and unco- and surfacing information. What was the biggest challenge you saw uh, in you know, in how others were doing this that you wanted to overcome. Yeah, or good do question. differently.
1: Mm. So we started with the um, the standard sort of inverted indexes, which is basically you know you find all the words in a document, and rather than saying this document contains these words, you can say these words contain these documents. Right? That's called an inverted index, and that's the really primitive stuff. So the first extension we made to that is using the relationships of language. And I find this fascinating about languages languages are all, human languages are all about relationships. Because if you pick up a lexicon, a dictionary, right, and you look at any word of, say, the English language, it's defined in terms of other words of the English language. It's completely circular. So how do you overcome that problem? That was the the, the big first question I had to sort of ask myself. And that was the first step we took
0: so what came first, uh sort of the chicken or the egg, was it your interest in language or the ability for computers to and computing to make sense of that and to make it more powerful.
1: Yeah, uh, good question. So as as a hobbyist programmer, um I seem to be uh, a natural for whatever reason yeah you know, at an early age. So, uh naturally I arrived at a stage I think where I thought, oh, I might as well teach the computer some more English, you know, to make it a bit more, bit more friendly to, to, to work with. And of course, I got stuck as a 16-year-old immediately, and I had no idea what to do. It seemed like a really daunting problem. So, you know, all my years of study, I sort of pursued that. And so, you know, you, you arrive at several um, points. So when I finished studying, it was still quite primitive, you know, that we didn't have the breakthroughs of of Google and, uh, uh, Jeffrey Hinton back then. So initially we just focused on, you know, keywords and stuff like that. And, and that's where my early work of relationships came about. And then later on, of course, with, uh, Jeffrey Hinton's work and, and, uh, word to vec and stuff like that, we, we actually could express meaning in terms of numbers, which is really interesting.
0: So combining sort of nouns and verbs with math or putting math to nouns and verbs.
1: Yeah, that's one way of thinking of it. I'd like to think of it as, if so, English, if was called an SVO, subject, verb, object language, right? So a typical, you know, um, Mike went to the store, right? So went is sort of like the verb, to go. And mm-hmm. I think of that as a function in computers. So the function would be to go somewhere. And the parameters of that function are Mike. And, you know, the, where you're going is the store. So... That's one way of looking at language, but with this numerization stuff, with making it into numbers, you can actually represent those meanings, Mike went to the store, as as a vector, and then you can compare it to other ones. So you can say, you know, John went to the store is 80% similar to Mike went to the store, and make decisions based on that.
0: When I was in eighth grade in uh, grammar school, Mrs. Doogie, taught, uh, my, our English teacher, taught us about sentence diagramming. And it sounded like the first part of that was very much sentence diagramming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's listening. <laughs> she's- <laughs> I, I hope so, too, because that actually she she she's the re- she's the reason I, I think I went down the road towards nouns and verbs and uh, and writing. How would you know what was the approach, right, that SimSage uh, took to solving this problem? Was it something was there, was there a, a, something, um, a light switch that went off for you and Sean that said, oh, this is how we need to do this?
1: Yeah, so Sh- Sh- Sean is the business guy, and Sean does a tremendous job. Uh, he's, he's got a really wide background in contract negotiations and you know, legal and um, running businesses. So Sean and I had worked before uh, together and really successfully. And so I'm the tech guy. So Sean doesn't, I mean, no disrespect to Sean, he's got his strengths, but when it comes to the tech, mm-hmm. it's, it's just me at the moment. And the light bulb moment, I think, was um, a lot of um, people at the time when we started were trying to use neural networks, which, which we use as well by the by, but they were trying to use neural networks, in my opinion, the wrong way, in that um, there's a lot of stuff where you teach a neural net- network a whole bunch of sentences, And you have a whole bunch of outputs like what they call intents, like you know, switch on the light, switch off the light, and those sort of map to on and off switches on on one side of the neural network to the other side, and you know, trying to do that, you try and pick up what, what a user means. But the problem with that is, of course, that in reality, you know, what I call consensus reality, there are trillions of outputs, right? There isn't just a single action you can do that that you can map. So I think that's where a lot of them went wrong initially. And we just changed that. You know, I, I thought, well, rather than writing a single neural network to do that, um, why don't we use meaning and compare meaning with meaning? And that is whatever it means.
0: Seems like a very difficult problem to solve.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it certainly took me a while.
0: How did the cloud fit into your early days when you were starting up the company and starting to tackle this problem? So in a previous
1: um, company, which sort of started in 2008 and sort of finished in 2000, well, they're still going, but, you know, Sean and I exited in 2014. Um, cloud was very, very new, right? And when I first, you know, so, so those implementations were all written for really big servers with lots of RAM and lots of disk. And, you know, that's that's all very cool if if, if you have it. But the cloud is, of course, much, much easier, right? You can just rent whatever you need and use it whenever you need it and, you know, switch it off if you don't need it and you can scale, which you can't really do with your own kit, right? You have to either buy it all up front, um, as your listeners probably well know. So the cloud was a much more natural fit to us. And, of course, I had to change. Uh, I mean, I rewrote uh, rewrote this thing completely from scratch, even in, in a different computer language because yeah you know, technology moves on quite fast I, in my opinion, every five, six years the whole all these stacks change and you have to keep keep up to date with that.
0: Talk to me a little bit if you will, about some of the technology that powers Simsage what are some of the what are some of the things that make it work?
1: yeah i want, I wanted it to be enterprise strength and with my uh, previous experiences and you know, I haven't done this for a very long time, I quite like. Uh, Kotlin, so K-O-T-L-I-N. It's quite a modern language based on Java. And, uh, and it, it can interact with Java the way we use it. And it's enterprise strength. That's really important to me, right? So it's, it's, it's a proper language. It's enterprise strength. And um, it's got access to all the Java libraries, which is, you know, <laughs> millions of. Um, so that's, that's part of the stack. And, of course, um, having done big data before, we, we quite like Apache Cassandra, which is, uh, you know, one of the Apache projects for scalable big big data. You know, just add more machines to your database, and you have more storage and more capacity. So that's that's the main stack, and of course, JavaScript at the front. Uh, yeah.
0: And what about on the what about on the infrastructure side? I would imagine that I would imagine this is not something that you're going to do on low-scale computing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we, we try to keep it as low-scale as possible, of course, to keep it affordable, right? I mean, you know, if you buy, yeah. if you go that that old trap again, you know, by having 128 gigs of RAM, you know, which at the moment is still quite expensive, um, that just wouldn't do. I mean, you know, we, we couldn't um, compete that way. So um, how we run it in the cloud, of, uh, to, to me, seems quite natural as Kubernetes because... We I've designed it all to be microservices, you know, so it can be split into these, you know, fourteen, fifteen, whatever it is at the moment, little um, mm. subcomponents.
0: And what about what about on the sort of the processor side? Is it you know are you using dedicated instances or shared instances? Are you on you know, is, is this something that's being done with CPUs or are you using, you know, do you need the power of a GPU to make this happen? Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I was going, do, going down a path. Uh, GPUs, I mean, the more pr- computing power, the, 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 the better always, I think. But, you know, um, like like some of the amazing things that, that Google did really early on, they just thought big, right? They, they didn't constrain their thinking by saying, oh, we only have these computers and only this. Now, what if? kind of thinking, I, I really like that. So um, in, in our roadmap, we do have a lot of GPU usage in the future, um, but we're just not at the right spot. I mean, we've got co- all co- co- the technology ready. It's more of a question of um, having more customers first. You know, we, we, we build this properly rather than uh, racing ahead and, and you know maybe falling over really, really hard. Um, yeah, so in terms of CPUs, sure. Um, Usually um, a single instance which does about a million documents, about eight CPUs and maybe t- 24, 32 gigs of RAM. That sort of arena.
0: I love I love what you're talking about around the you know the sort of the building it right first uh, and building it for scale first. It's something that we're seeing a lot more in the in the industry uh, and among conversations. Is it's a big debate on. Do you build for scale or do you build for speed first? Yeah, an MVP.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think you know um, the uh, fake it until you make it is is not really my philosophy. I mean, a, a bit us, of course. But uh, <laughs> no, we we. <laughs> it's, so maybe quite interesting to you. It's the uh, it's sort of a New Zealand attitude, which I really appreciate. Is uh, the very understated people, the New Zealanders. And, you know, when, when they say something, they, they mean it, they, they, and they have it usually, you know, it's not, it's not faked. It's, they're they're quite a realistic people, if you like.
0: That is, that is very true. A friend of mine is a, an analyst and ultra marathoner out of, um, out of the Christchurch area, Ben Keeps. And uh, yeah, very, very direct, which is awesome. (laughs) Uh, Love it. So you, you know you talked a little bit about um Kubernetes, and I'd love to get love to get some more thinking around that because that's you know that's sort of another one of the the hot areas that people in the industry tend to debate a lot about uh, whether it's too complicated or whether it's the you know the the ultimate thing to make things in containers work. Huh. what what sort of drew you to that?
1: <laughs> so uh, of course I started with Docker, which is sort of uh, you know, sort of the basis for it all, and of course Docker made its own Docker Compose, you know, which is sort of the um, I, I, I wouldn't call it the pre-runner of Kubernetes, but it's sort of a, a parallel to Kubernetes, right? So Google created Kubernetes, and then you know got out the blocks really, really fast, open sourced it. I, I think Kubernetes is tremendous. Uh, that's not to say that there might not be something better, you know, ten years from now. But um, I love it. And you're right, it is complex. It took me a while to get my head around as well. But I think once you do, it's uh, not that complex. Plus, there's a lot of online materials uh, explaining it.
0: And so and I think the other part that that would probably be interesting for some folks to hear is there's probably a slight difference, at least on the consumption side and the building side, between... Kubernetes and manage Kubernetes. Does does sort of the managed part of that, like Linode would do with like L with LKE, uh, take some of that complexity out?
1: Absolutely. So um, we, we do both because um, we have a, a few customers asking of us for on premise um, solutions. Fair enough. We we originally said we weren't going to do that. Right. We said it's going to be the cloud from now on. Man. But you know we got a really big customer and they said no. Nah, it's got to be on-premise, so you know you can't use whatever cloud you're using right now. And so, I um, I deepened myself into micro Kubernetes. Uh, my, sorry, micro K8s, which is the uh, canonical Ubuntu, because uh, all our stuff runs the Ubuntu server anyway. So um, honestly, it, it it took me uh, it took me a few weeks to really get to know it, and you know uh, use some of the stuff I was using in, in Linode Cloud Kubernetes on micro kubernetes because it's it's different of course right and you have to take care of that's i guess that's the thing you you got to take care of so many more things you have to set up your storage properly and map it to drives and blah 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 um i guess memory management isn't no that's about the same but you know if you have more machines you need to connect all the machines and lino does all that for you that's no problem, right? In Linode, I just click a few buttons, and you know I've got three machines here, three machines here. They're all talking together, and I just deploy my software, easy as that. And that's what you lack with uh, rolling your own, if you like.
0: And you, you, if I heard you correctly, you started out uh, early on uh, on GCP on Google, and then moved over to and moved over to Linode. Why, would you, why did you make that switch? Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm not sure if this is still the case because I haven't looked at Google for a while at GCP. Um, it was too expensive. So it was double the price for each node uh, at that time. Um, and I think they even had a, a base charge for using Kubernetes at all. So I can't remember what it was, but it was like $80 just for the privilege of using Kubernetes. And then you had to add all the machines to that. Yeah, as a small company, we just couldn't afford that at that time.
0: Yeah, we've seen a we've seen a number of benchmark studies that have shown companies. You know, I, I know from at least Linode outperforming some of the largest cloud providers when it comes to price performance. And I think those those two words, right, price and performance, go together like peanut butter and chocolate. Uh, they're two. It's really important, right? You can't have one without the without the other. Nice. Yeah, I think you're right. And I would imagine that played a pretty big role in helping you scale early on.
1: Absolutely. Um, So a plus, um, because, uh, you know, I I actually talked to my success manager at Linode and I said, you know, we are a startup. Um, Is there any help you can give us? And yeah, just like that. I mean, just like that, of course, they interviewed us and all that. But we were enrolled in their beta program, which was brilliant. We're still in it at the moment. Now it's a three year program and the first year we got quite a lot of resources for free just because we're a startup and you know we got a, an interesting project
0: yeah and the credits don't run out it's you know you get surprised at the end and I, and you just hit on something right it's like it's one of the things that we don't talk enough about in conversations when we when most of us talk about the cloud right we'll go down that we'll go down that deep technical avenue and uh, we and we forget about the, you know the concepts of and the functions of support right and not just technical support but business support too and if i'm correct you're part of linode's business partner
1: program, absolutely correct? i think that that was the other thing right with with google i mean they've got good documentation don't get me wrong um and i think i never got stuck with google technically but to talk to a human being at google i, I think that's next to impossible um whereas with linode as, as i said i've got a uh, personal success manager, because we were using a, a lot of kit that they saw, you know, maybe we are, it could be a big player. So they got in contact with me and yeah, here we are.
0: Yeah. I mean this, that customer, that customer support, uh, it still boggles my mind when I hear that Linode does 24 by seven, 365 human support. You pick up the phone and call a human at Whether it's cloud or technology or anything, that still seems seems different (laughs) in today's world.
1: Yeah, I still can't believe it. The difference—it's day and night.
0: So we we hear a lot about the alternative cloud, which is something that 451 Research coined to reflect a new category of hyperscale providers uh sort of the goldilocks right not too not too big like amazon google or azure where you're where you're a you know you might not be big enough to get the support or the the attention that you that you need or some of the pricing that you need you know and not so small that you can't can't build for architect for scale like you did at the like you did at the start how important is something like that right finding a finding a provider that is you know sort of a natural fit for the kind of company you are or this or the size of company that that you are
1: it's really important because we only just got our funding um uh, we, we 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 went through our first investment round and of course we're being, New Zealanders, we're being quite conservative you know we're, we're not taking that much money but um that that, that is the whole point um um, I could easily see this money being eaten up by a Google you know, at double the price and no business partner programs um because we're not the right size yeah mm-hmm.
0: And what about something like tr- like the concept of trust we've what we've watched studies from um, Clearpath strategies and others around you know around the idea of you know the question of cloud provider trust where you know, the as I understood the findings, as a you know, customers, yeah, we trust we trust all of all of these hyperscale providers, whether they're the big three or the alternative uh, cloud category providers, to provide the technical aspects of what we need to keep things running to make it to make it work. Um, but then there's cracks that start to show in the you know in the foundation of trust where they, you know, where they, they start to question, Oh, but they might compete against me or are they using my data for other areas of the business? And I would imagine doing, building something like a search engine that might come into play.
1: Yeah. I have a really good point.
0: I know it would for me.
1: Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I, I wouldn't know. Right. We, you know, the Russians say trust, but verify. So, um, I, you're right. I mean, t- t- take Google, right? I mean, that, that's their main business. I mean, they it's it's advertising and search, and uh, we're just search, not about uh, you know connecting people with information. Um, I have no idea what would happen to my data, and I guess there are no guarantees. Plus, I guess it's all managed by mostly AI over there, right? So you, you get these really you know <laughs> a person who loves AI and knows a lot about AI. You see it here as well in the UK at the moment. You had all these dumb decisions because you don't quite fit the statistics or, you know, the decision by st- st- statistical pattern matching. It's, yeah, you, you really need a human being at the end. I mean, I, I, it's great that AIs help human beings, but putting them on the front line and, and answering, yeah, it's not a good idea.
0: What are you know to to sort of wrap up i mean what are what are some things that you would advise other companies or other founders uh and technologists as they were if they were in you know if if as they're starting out their journey onto the cloud or building that they would need to know right what are some, what are some things that some advice you would give to them? so
1: um it'll show a few of my own biases, of course, but uh, (laughs) so um, I was a Microsoft developer for a very long time, maybe 15 years, half half my career and um, when I see people these days using the Microsoft stacks uh, I I just cringe a little bit Um, it's you know, Microsoft, has, over the last 30 years, has had a tendency to do a lot of marketing and then just drop products afterwards because you know they're no longer profitable or whatnot. So be careful what stack you buy into is one of my main advice there. You know, what what if .NET and Core disappeared two, three years from now? Anyway, Microsoft stopped caring. All those developers would be you know, badly uh, hurt and bitten um so choose wisely uh what else mike what uh
0: yeah i mean i think that i mean i think that's great that's great advice <laughs> because it is a you know it is a business partnership and a and a trust that you're putting that put that you're putting into into your provider uh, so I think that was that was perfect advice, yeah, and I, I appreciate think Google, that. Google's uh, so,
1: done it a few times as well, where products disappear, but they tended not to be the developer. Oh, No, that's not true. There's a few of those as well. Yeah, you, you just got to be careful, I guess.
0: We were not going to bring up Google Reader. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, that isn't that. That's that's always that's always the response to that one. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Well, uh, you know I want, to be, I want to be respectful of your time and I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to to tell the, to tell your story rock. Uh, it was uh, it was fascinating and I thought very insightful and hopefully our listeners uh, are able to take away and learn from it. Where can folks find you and Simsage online? Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> like every other company, we're working on our website. <laughs> the website is simsage <laughs> simsage.ai. <laughs> that's us and uh, hopefully we'll have it up to date soon uh, please feel free to uh it's got our contact details on that, on there as well love to have a chat if you're available and you want to know something more thank you so much for having me mike i really enjoyed it
0: thanks a lot thanks a lot rock thanks for listening to craft of code we hope you enjoyed the episode if you did Please subscribe to make sure you're the first to hear when we release future episodes, and we'd love it if you left a review.